Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and uh, we're, we're going to get out of the book of Acts just, just briefly. We're going to get back into it very, very quickly. But just today, we're going to spend our time in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you don't know, that's Old Testament. Uh, you can hey, go to the table of contents, totally cool. No shame, no shame. Go there if you need to, to find out where 1 Samuel is. We're going to have all the scriptures up here on the screen. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at... Uh, an incredible woman in 1 Samuel chapter 1. You know, oftentimes you hear so many messages about great godly men like Moses and Abraham and David and uh, so many great men are in the Bible. How many of y'all know there's some great men in the Bible? Yeah, y'all talk to me. Yeah, yeah. And there's some great men in this church. Okay. But if you read through the Bible, what you're going to find is that, yes, there are some, there are some great men, but there are many good, incredible, godly women that God used for his glory. And so ladies, listen to me carefully. Mamas, listen carefully. I want you to know that it is one of my jobs to get behind you, to equip you to do great things for God. And may books be written about you in days to come. And so we're going to look at this woman of God in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and her name is Hannah. Can y'all say that name? Hannah. We're going to look at this great woman of God. Now, just so you can fully appreciate this woman and what she did for God, we need to take a few steps back and I need to give you just a few minutes of a little bit of background about uh, the history and the context in which we find her. Uh, Hannah's story takes place about 1100 years before the time of Jesus. Okay, 1100 years. And Hannah finds herself in a very, very dark time in the, the nation of Israel's history. This is a very bleak, glum time. During this era, it was really a transitional period between the time of the judges and the time of the monarchy. In other words, Hannah finds herself in between the time when there was no king in Israel in the time when there would be kings in Israel. So she, she lives in this transitional, but very, very dark time in Israel's history. Many of the people were corrupt. The priesthood was corrupt. As a matter of fact, this is how bad it was. There was sexual immorality taking place at the house of the Lord. Now, how many of y'all know that's jacked up? But read it for yourself in 1 Samuel. I mean, there's sexual immorality happening at the house of the Lord. The people are corrupt. The priesthood is corrupt. It's just a jacked up time to be alive. There was no strong prophetic voice. There was really no strong godly leadership. But it was during this transitional period that God raised up an incredible man, a godly man named Samuel. And Samuel was the last judge and he was a great prophet in Israel and he did incredible things for God. 
But behind this great man was a great mama, a great woman. And once again, her name was, you guess it, Hannah. Hannah was her name. But here's what I want you to see about Hannah in particular. She lived in a very, very dysfunctional culture. But Hannah also lived in a very, very dysfunctional marriage. Now, please don't say anything out loud or amen this, but some of you ladies, you find yourselves in the middle of, you're living in a very dysfunctional nation, a sinful nation, but you might also find yourself living in a very dysfunctional marriage. You don't have to say amen or let me know that that's true, but I know that even in a crowd this small, in a crowd this size, you're here, and so you can connect at some level with Hannah because that's where you are as well. But we, we see in particular that Hannah found herself in a very, very challenging marital situation, especially by our standards. So let's read this together. First Samuel chapter one, beginning in verse one, I'm going to give you a little profile, a little profile. Watch this ladies of what this woman had to deal with. Are y'all ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right. Here's what the Bible says. First Samuel one, one. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf. <laughs> I don't know if that's pronounced right, but you just say it with authority like you mean it, right? Uh, an Ephrathite, verse 2. Okay, so, so far so good, right? You don't know what any of that means, but okay, so far so good, right? All the, all these names, but verse two is where it goes south. He had how many wives? Two wives. The name of the one was, you say it, yeah. Hannah. And the name of the other, Penina. Yeah, just say it with authority, even if you mispronounce it. Yeah, Penina. And Penina had what? Had children, but Hannah had no. She had no children. Verse 3, now this man, Akana, used to go up year by year from a city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, about 15 miles north, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a what? A double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this passage or the truths within this passage where we ask today or that you would do miracles here, God. I pray that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts, Lord, do signs, miracles, and wonders in our lives. Thank you for the incredible mamas, the incredible ladies here today. I pray that, Lord, you would speak to them, that you would inspire them, and that, Lord, you would encourage them, Lord, through the preaching of my my message today. And so, Lord, we pray today that even though they hear my voice, I pray ultimately that all the ladies here would hear ultimately your voice, God. And so, Lord, speak to us today. Give us crystal clarity about what this text means and how it applies in our lives. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Well, as we just read, you know, this, this is a, it's a pretty messed up story. I mean, we didn't get that far into it. We're only five verses in. But um, uh, as far as we know, as we read about Elkanah, uh, Elkanah was a, was a good man, wasn't he? From what we just read, I mean, for the most part, right? I mean, he sacrificed 
regularly. He worshiped regularly. It looks like he, he did his duties. He fulfilled his duties as, as, as a man of God. But as you, as, you, as you read this, you have to get very far into the passage. You get into this, Elkanah had one little issue, <laughs> right? I mean, just nobody's perfect, right? But he had one issue. What was that issue? He was a polygamist. Now, now, we have small groups here, discipleship groups at Our Savior's Church, and sometimes in discipleship groups and small groups, you know, we will confess our faults to one another. You know the Bible says that, right? Confess your faults to one another. Well, sometimes that happens in, in small groups, but, I mean, let's go into the story for just a second, okay? Can you imagine? Elkanah is in your small group, and you're going around sharing your struggles. My name is Scott, and I'm an alcoholic. My name is so-and-so, and I struggle with drug addiction. Hi, my name is Elkanah, and I'm a polygamist. I mean, imagine, like, in, in, in 17 years of marriage counseling, I've dealt with some pretty heavy stuff with people. How many of y'all know where there's people, there's poop? Yeah. <laughs> there are messes wherever there are people. Okay, but in all my years, this has never come up. Okay, and I hope it doesn't. Okay, but but my, my name is Elkanah, and, and I, I I'm a polygamist, and I, I'm struggling. Can you help me now? Uh, now listen. Here, here's what I want you to see with this. When you read about polygamy, I mean, the only way from our standard to see this is like that's just that that that, that that's some awkward stuff, right? If you're, you're married to a man and then you're living in the same home, but there's also this other woman, his wife. I mean, think about ladies. Get, get into this just for a second. Think about how weird that would be living with your man, but also living with your man's other wife. Okay. I don't care who you are. That's weird stuff, y'all. How I many of y'all know that'd be very awkward? I mean, judging, of course, by our standards. Now, I need y'all to understand something. That I, I know there are people who, they're like, well, I don't read the Bible because it's full of, you know, murder and rape and there's polygamy and all this awful stuff. And I'm like, listen, listen carefully. Yes, there is awful stuff in the Bible because the Bible is a story about awful people who did stupid stuff. Are y'all with me? But here's what I need you to see, that from Genesis all the way to the very end of the Bible, what you see consistently through is that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, a man, one man, one woman, that's it together forever in this life, period. Are y'all with me? He has the copyright on marriage. That's how he defines marriage, okay? And so, so watch this, okay? When you read about polygamy in the Bible, two big words that are important for you to get. When you read about polygamy, okay, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Does that make sense? The Bible is describing what happened. This is not God saying, you need to go make this happen, okay? This is just describing, for our purposes, the way the culture was back then. How many of y'all know we, lived in a, we live in a jacked up world? But how many of you know the world's always been messed up? The world has always been messed up. Up And so God breaks in to time and space with his word, by his spirit, to correct that which is wrong, that which goes south or that which deviates. But how many of y'all know God's the standard and it's not us uh, asking God to measure up to us. We measure up to him. Are y'all with me? In his word. Okay, so th this, is, this is descriptive. This is not prescriptive. 
Okay, and so scholars, here's what scholars do. Scholars, they point out that, that men in the ancient Near East, basically men who lived a long time ago, often married a second wife if that man's first wife could not bear children. Okay, so it was very important for a man to have a wife who could bear children to propagate the family name and the family line. So Elkanah married Hannah, loved Hannah. We see that in the text. He even gave her a double portion. But we see that, that, that by inference here, Hannah, Hannah could not bear children. Her, her womb was closed. And so in this time, in this era, it was customary for a man like Elkanah to then go marry another woman in hopes that she would be fertile, in hopes that her womb would be open so that she could bear Elkanah children. Are you all with me? But, but, but again, I'm not saying that this is the way it should be. I'm saying this, as I've described it, is the way that it was. And so Hannah finds herself in this very, very awkward situation. But, but let's take it a step further. Not just awkward. How many of y'all know this was, this was a very, very insecure situation for Hannah to be in? I mean, think about it, ladies. Think about you marry a man and that man is all about, you know, propagating the family name. Even though he loves you, he wants children. But, but you're in this position in life for physical reasons that you can't have children. And so your man marries another woman, brings her into the home and I'm not trying to be ugly or funny, but think about this. Like, like, you're trying to find your husband, but, well, he's busy making other babies with a woman who is able to do something that you can't do. Are y'all with me? How many of y'all know that would be very, very awkward, very strange, and would provoke all types of insecurity in you if you were that woman? Are y'all getting the picture? And so Hannah is in this situation. That her womb is closed and her husband had to get another, had to get another woman so he could, he could continue the family line through her. She must have felt so insecure and so down and at times so depressed because she knew she couldn't give her man what he wanted. Now, in addition to her own feelings of insecurity, what makes matters worse is that Hannah lived with a man who is married to another woman who would provoke her about her inadequacy on a regular basis. This woman, Penina, was not like, you know, supporting and supportive of, of Hannah. Listen to what the Bible says here in 1 Samuel 1, 6 through 8. And her rival used to do what? Provoke her grievously to do what? irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And also we can add the fact that Penina knew that Elkanah loved Hannah and gave her a double portion. How many of y'all know there's all kinds of jealousy up in this relationship? How many of y'all know this is some messed up stuff? All right. But look, but look at what verse seven says. So it went on, not just like, Hey, let me provoke you to irritate you once, but it says this, it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, Penina used to provoke Hannah. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? So let me just paint a picture for you briefly. Ladies, again, get into this emotionally for just a minute. Think about you getting in the car 
with your husband to go to church. But then the door opens, another door opens, and here comes his other wife, and she gets in the car. This is so weird to even talk about. She gets in the car and sits right beside you. And on the way, it says on the way to worship, on the way to church, that Penina is mocking you and ridiculing you and provoking you and reminding you of what you'll never have and what you'll never be. Imagine that on the way to church, she's provoking you and doing it regularly. Now, I hope y'all are seeing just how messed up this situation is and what Hannah had to deal with. Penina provoked her over and over and over again. So it's, it's one thing to feel inadequate internally, but it's another thing to live with someone, to be around someone who tells you that you are inadequate on a regular basis. Listen to me, mamas. Listen to me, ladies. The devil works overtime to make you feel inadequate. I promise he's going to do anything and everything he can to make you as women of God feel inadequate. Ladies, you feel inadequate, some of you, because you cannot become a mother. You want to be one, but you feel inadequate because you, you've tried, but you can't become a mother. There, there's something that is preventing you from, from doing that. And you, you feel it. In not just your body, you feel it. It's deep insecurity in you. You feel the deficiency. You feel less than because you want to have children. Some of you feel inadequate because you can't become a mother. Others of you feel inadequate because you are a mother. And what I mean by that is you've had children and the demands of motherhood make you feel like you don't have what it takes to raise children in this very difficult time that we live in. And you feel like you give and you give and you give and you give and you do your best and you feel like maybe it's never, ever enough. But how many of y'all know that's a lie from the pit of hell? Listen to me, mamas, if you're serving God, you're getting your kids to church. Maybe that man walked out, ladies, but you're getting your kids to church. You're serving the Lord. Listen to me. God will honor you and he will provide for you, especially single mamas. We love the single mamas in this house. But maybe he's, nonetheless, you feel inadequate. You're like, oh, I can't do this. I'm such a rotten mom. I feel like I'm, I'm yelling at my kids and I can't keep up with this. I can't keep up with that. You're running around and you just feel, you feel this deep sense of inadequacy. Or maybe you feel inadequate because, well, you don't want to be a mother. Maybe motherhood's celebrated and it's promoted, but, but you're like, I don't I, I don't know, you want to be a mother. And you feel inadequate. You feel like something's wrong with you because you, some of you don't want to be a mother. And finally, some of you feel inadequate because you just feel like you're not the right kind of mother. And so there are all kinds of reasons for us to feel inadequate generally. But for the women here, the mamas and the mamas-to-be specifically, check this out. And, and you not only have to deal internally with this issue, but check it out. Every time you go on social media, how many of y'all know there are a lot of bananas running around on social media reminding you of what you don't have and what you'll never be according to their standards? And I'm talking about the mamas and the bikinis and the big houses and all. none of that's wrong in itself. And I'm saying you're seeing all these other women who have these moms who have all these things. And you're like, well, I can never be that. I can never have those children. I can never have that home. I can never have that job. And you feel inadequate because you're living in the shadow of all these other moms who seem to have it all together. 
Oh, it's all over the place. Panan is at church. Panan is at work. Panan is on social media. Panan is Panan. They're everywhere provoking you, being the voice of the enemy to you, telling you that you're not enough, telling you that you'll never be the kind of mama that God's called you to be. Listen to me. That is a lie. And you have to identify it as such. And there is some truth in it that, listen, by myself, by yourself, you're not adequate. That's why you need Jesus. Let me say it again. In and of yourself, you don't have what it takes. That's why you need the one who will give you the power and the resources to do whatever it takes to raise godly children. Come on, y'all. You serve God. You serve him in the power of the spirit. But, 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 but some people can take that inadequacy, that feeling, and men, you too, that feeling of inadequacy, and it can drive you to depression and to despondency. But what I love about Hannah is that I'm sure she felt this way. She had great vexation and ve- uh, great, great uh, distress in her soul. But check out what she does. We can learn a lot from her, men and women. She allowed that inadequacy to drive her to a greater degree of intimacy and dependency upon God. Her pain led her to deep and intimate prayer in the presence of God. Isn't that how it is in life for all of us? I mean, mean, the sun's out today and things are going great in my life. My kids are healthy. My wife is beautiful. I've got nothing to complain about. And so today I, I can experience God today and I can worship him and draw close. But how many of y'all know there's something about those seasons when you're down and you're depressed, things aren't right internally, things are off externally. How many of y'all know there's those times in your life that, that, that come that, that, that uh, oh, I thank God for them, I thank God for them because the pressure, the pressure and the pain drives me in a special way into the presence of God. How many of y'all know the pain and the pressure of life will make you more aware of his presence? Listen to what the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, starting there. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. This is the Nazarite vow from number six. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, 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 my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard 
your servant is worthless, is a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and, and vexation. Verse 17, then, then Eli answered, well, go in peace. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. Now, I love the passion in this woman. Men, we can learn a lot from this woman. Her passion is off the charts. And I want you to see what she's doing here. She is praying with everything she can come up with in her resources, in her emotions. She's praying her heart out, her soul out, and she makes this vow. She makes this vow. Let me, let me paraphrase. Lord, if you, if you remember me in my affliction, then, then Lord, I'll remember you. And if you allow me to have a son, then here, here's my promise, Lord. I am going to dedicate him to you all the days of his life. This is a vow. This is her saying, God, if you do this for me, then Lord, I'm going to do this for you. You give him to me, I'm going to give him back to you. That's a pretty good deal, huh? And the Lord, the Lord here is, is listening, but, but I want you to see, Eli is mocking her, essentially, thinking that in this sense that she's drunk. But she said, no, 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 I'm not drunk. No, no, no. Her lips are moving. Her lips are quivering, but no words are coming out. But she, in her soul, is crying out to God. And she said, no, 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 I'm not drunk, I'm not drunk, no, no, no. This is out of great vexation and anxiety that, that, I'm, that I'm acting this way. But here's what I want you to see. There's something remarkable about Hannah. There's something incredible that we need to emulate and imitate. And it's this. Although Hannah's womb was closed, Hannah knew and she believed that God's ears were always open. And that God was listening to her prayers, and then in due season, God was going to answer her prayers and give her the breakthrough that she prayed for. Now listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. On Mother's Day, mamas, hear this. God is not looking for perfect mothers. He is looking for praying mothers. He is looking for some desperate for God housewives who will turn off Netflix and turn off the TV and get before God and pour out your soul and cry out to the God who can split the Red Sea and call the things that are not as though they are. Are y'all with me today? He's looking for some praying mamas, some desperate for God mamas. And I don't know how it all works. I mean, I'm sure she prayed before, but something supernatural happened this time she prayed. How many of y'all know God always hears the prayers of a godly praying mama? There's just something about it. So what? I don't know. <laughs> you just see in the Bible, there's just something there. that, that The praying mama gets the father's attention in just a special way. But Hannah was a woman of prayer. But she's also a woman of persistence. She wasn't going to back down. How many times did Hannah and Elkanah come together and have marital relations? I don't know. 
I'm sure it was a lot of tries. But listen to what it says here. 1 Samuel 1, 19 and 20. <laughs> they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. <laughs> I love that. She prayed, worshiped, and then went back home. Now, I'm not trying to be funny here, Glib. I want you to see something very important. They went back home. And it says, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That doesn't mean that they had coffee and he got to know her better. It means that they had relations. They came together. Okay? Look at what it says in the same sentence, which is awkward for a lot of us. And the Lord remembered her. But I want you to see that what was created by God, which was sex and marital relationship, created by God, they, they go home, they get in bed, and, and listen, I'm sure they tried hundreds of times, but this time there, there, was, something, there was something different because as they, as they came together in this moment, the Lord, the Lord, he had not forgotten. Listen, mamas, you need to know the Lord has not forgotten your prayers. You, you got to keep on praying, keep on pressing through, but he, he remembers the first time you prayed. He has not forgotten your requests. Here, 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 he, he remembered her as they're coming together. And the Bible says that, that, that in due time, I love that. If you have your Bible, you can circle that. In due time, in due time, in due season, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In due time, this took place. In due season. Now, again, she could have said, he could have said, we've, we've tried a thousand times. Nothing's going to work. We've done this. We've been to the doctors. We've been to prayer. Nothing's going to work. But no, no, no. Hannah prayed and she believed that her prayers were heard and they got together. They came together. And on, on this occasion, life was conceived in her womb. Samuel was conceived and eventually brought forth. But here's what you need to know. Before Samuel was conceived in her womb, something was conceived in the spirit between Hannah and God. As Hannah got desperate for God and got close to God, she got up in his ear. His ears were open and he answered and opened her womb. How many of y'all know? Life comes out of intimacy. Yes. Sexual intimacy brings life. And the devil's trying to kill as much and as many as he can. He brings death and he brings destruction. But, but, but Jesus came to give life and life to the for many people, children are to be despised. They're just nuisances. But how many of you all know the Bible says that children are a gift from the Lord? Motherhood is a gift. But this time something's different. And I think, I think what was different was that Hannah got intimate with God, desperate for God in a way she'd never been before. Now listen to me. God is sovereign, and he does what he does whenever he wants to do it. But how many of y'all know at the same time, the Bible is very clear that as he's sovereign, because he's sovereign, we should still pray. And we pray his will, and he answers. He answers those prayers that are according to his will. And we see, we see this, that it was in the fullness, the fullness of time that this took place. 
there are two specific words I want to highlight in Greek that come into English that refer to time. The first is chronos. And chronos refers to the tick, in our purposes, the tick-tock of the clock. <laughs> you work an hourly job and you're watching the clock and the second hand tick, tick, tick. That, for our purposes, is what chronos time is like. It's the linear succession of time. But then there is another word, it's kairos. And kairos refers to the appointed time or the appointed season. And how many of y'all know there's a lot of, lot of tick-tocks of the clock, a lot of seconds and a lot of minutes and a lot of hours that, that build up to lead to the fullness of time or the appointed time? See, some of us, we get lost in, we get stuck in the chronos time where nothing's happening. It's dark and depressing and no miracles are taking place. It's quiet in the spirit. Nothing seems to be happening. And I, and I know so many people as they're walking in the chronos time, as they're going tick, the tick-tock of the clock, moment by moment, second by second, they, they eventually, they grow weary and they give up. But what you see in the Bible is, is that, that, that in the fullness of time, God comes through for the praying man or for the praying woman. So what you got to do is you got to keep stepping. You got to keep moving. Even if nothing's happening in the natural, you believe that God is a supernatural God who can split the Red Sea, bring water from the rock, raise the dead and open your womb. Don't give up. If you're in the tick-tock of the clock and nothing's happening because God has an appointed season for you. But so many people jump ship. They give up right before the appointed time. They're disappointed in time and they give up and they don't experience the appointed blessing that's tailor-made for them. Maybe that's you. I would encourage you to keep walking, keep being faithful. Anna was a persistent woman. And I want to challenge all the mamas here to be persistent with your God. Persistence. Oh, I prayed, my womb's closed, can't have babies. I've prayed a thousand times. Pray again. You say, I can't have a baby. Pray again. For those of, for the mamas here, you, you, you want to be a mama, you just can't be a mama. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me carefully. I don't know what God's ultimate will is, but I do know this. Children are a gift from the Lord. And if it's a desire of your heart, then it should be on your lips, your request to God, make it known to him. And you trust God that in due time, it's in his hands. Are y'all with me? In due time, it's in God's hands. Give it to the Lord. You give it to the Lord, place it in his hands. He'll place his peace in your heart. So if you're a mama, or a lady, excuse me, and you want to be a mama, you're not there yet, but keep on praying. But how about this? How about those of you who are mothers, and you're dealing with impossible situations in, 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 in your motherhood? Once again, maybe you're single, you're a single mama, and you're feeling the weight and the pressure of life. That man walked out, and you're left with the bills, you're left with dirty diapers, you're left with all of it on your own. Listen to me carefully, you're, especially if you're a single mama. You're here. Listen to me. It is our job and our joy to help you. You are not doing this alone. 
If you feel like you are, come to us. We will pray for you. We will support you. I am so proud of our single mamas. Listen to me. That man, that man walked out, but you decided to stand firm. He left you, left the church, but you come to church. You're getting your kids in, kids ministry. You're serving God the best way you know how. And I want to honor you. And I want you to know you are not alone. Can somebody give them a little bit of help today? You are not alone. It is our job and our joy to support you. But I want to challenge you to get intimate with God. Cry out to the living God. And sometimes God will meet the needs supernaturally. Just there it is. Came out of just nowhere. Other, other times, many times, he will use his body. Come on, y'all. We are his hands and we are his feet to help people like you. If you're here today, you're a lady and you are you're married. Don't y'all love the sound of the children? I love, I love the cry. It means life is in the place. Life is here. Listen to me carefully. Listen. Maybe, maybe you're a lady and listen to me. Listen to me. You're single and you want to be married. You're single. Single ladies. But you want to be married. Listen. Wait on God. Wait on the Lord. Wait for the man who is submitted to the leaders at the local church and who's ultimately submitted to the Lord. Because Kelly knows if I start acting up, she can call Pastor Jacob. <laughs> One time she threatened, I said, you, you do it. She said, I will. I'm like, I'm just kidding, baby. You don't. Come on, men, we need other men in our lives to help us and hold us accountable because we think some stupid things, we do some stupid things. Come on, ladies, is that true? Of your man. Find a man who loves God. He's not going to be perfect. O'Connor wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. <laughs> but he worshiped and he went up to the house of the Lord. At the very least, find a man who's interested in going to the house of the Lord and believe that when he gets there, he's going to continue to grow in the Lord. Wait for a man like that. Gosh, it's hard enough in marriage when you find a godly uh, husband and a godly wife. It's difficult then, isn't it? Come on, godly couples. But, but if you're mismatched, you marry someone who doesn't care about the lordship of Christ or being obedient to God, God really, truly help you. So wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. But maybe you got married you violated a standard and you got married and now you're living with an, and married to an unbelieving husband. What should I do? Well, if he hasn't committed adultery and there's no abuse, stay in the relationship. Paul said, don't divorce him because he's an unbeliever. You know, people say, well, man, I got married. I shouldn't have. It just wasn't the will of the Lord for us to get married. If you're married, it is now. Like, God doesn't say, hey, like, y'all get married, then y'all let me know if y'all can work it out. Are y'all with me? No, if you've been through a divorce, you've gone through, hey, there's grace for you. I'm talking about from this moment going forward. Let's do it God's way. Are y'all with me? Do it God's way. Find a man, find a woman who's obedient to God, who wants to serve God. But if you're married to an unbeliever, here's what you do. 
if you're a lady and you're married, you're a wife to this man, don't nag him. Don't drag him to church. Listen to me. Here's what I want you to do. Write this down. This is deep. Are y'all ready? Here it comes. It's very, very, very deep. I want you to do this. I want you to pray. And you're like, okay, give me something else. Okay, you ready? I've got number two. You ready? After you pray, pray. One more. I got my third point. After you do that, nothing happens. You know what you do again? You be like Hannah and you you say, well, I mean, prayer, prayer. Okay, thank you. But is there anything else? Well, listen, oftentimes we treat prayer like, well, you know, I'll pray, but let me do something more practical. How many of y'all know prayer should be a top priority, not a last resort or not some secondary or tertiary thing? No, it's the main thing we're called to do. Love your husband. Be patient with him. Pray that the God who opened Hannah's womb will open his heart. Let God do the work. Let God do the work. And for some of you that feel like you missed your moment with your kids when they were younger in the house, you missed your moment to love them and to train them and to raise them to be godly children. Maybe, maybe they're grown and they're out of the house now and you feel like you have nothing to contribute. Well, let me dispel the lie. Even if they're out of the home, that doesn't mean that they're out of your heart. And how many of y'all know, God will still answer your prayer concerning your children, even if they're not under your roof. So, like, I didn't serve God in high school. I didn't serve God in early college. And my mom, if she were here today, Mom's in heaven. I don't know what the zip code there is, but mom's in heaven. If she could come here today and sit here, she would tell you all about her inadequacies, all about her mistakes, all about what she failed to do. But there's one thing my mom did very, very well. She prayed for me. And while I was out partying, she was at home praying. And how many of y'all know there's something about a praying mama? I don't know how it works out theologically. You say, you don't? I don't. But I do know this. I'm saved by the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ and somehow, some way, by the prayers of my godly mama who did not give up on me. How does it work out? I don't know. One day God will, God will, God will, God will tell us. But as we wrap this up, uh, you need to know Hannah was a woman of prayer and a woman of persistence. But she was also a woman of her promise. She was a woman of her promise. What do you mean, Pastor Scott? Well, 1 Samuel 1, 21 through 23 says this. The man El Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Look at verse, look at verse 22. Check this out. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and will dwell, dwell there forever. Verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only May the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained 
love that word. If you have your Bible, circle that word, remained. And nursed her son until she weaned him. Mamas, especially mamas with young children in the home, I pray if you remember one word from this message today, it's the word remained. You say, what do you mean? Well, I know that in this room, there are some incredibly gifted women. I mean, I could call you each by name. If, if I know you, I could talk about, I mean, from Leslie to Jacqueline. I mean, I can go, I could literally go around and talk about the great things, ladies, you do. I mean, like men, like we really need their help. I will make a helpmate suitable for you, Adam, because you're dumb. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. But there's certain, is it? Court's big enough. He says it's true. If you want to mess with it, then deal with him. Uh, there are things that, men we don't see, things we don't understand. That's why we need, we need our wives and we need women and we need women to help us. And so from Miss Sonia, again, I could go, Helen, I mean, around the room. I could talk about your incredible giftings and uh, I could talk about all the things that God's called you to do. And, and listen to me, if you are, if you're a doctor, a dentist, an accountant, ladies, whatever you are, I want to get behind you and I want to, we want to support you and we want you to flourish in the community and all that you say and all that you do, may you bring glory to the God you serve. God's called you to be his hands and his feet in the workplace, in the political world, everywhere men go, ladies, you're called to go and bring your godly touch with you but I want you to remember this Andy Stanley said something very profound remember this go 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 do what God's called you to do but remember this your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do but someone you raise so you're looking to accomplish all these big things out there. Okay, okay, I'm not saying you shouldn't. That's, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not getting in the middle of that. But don't forget your greatest contribution to the kingdom. It may not be something you do, an award you get, some money you make, or something you do out there. It may and probably will involve someone you raise in your very home. Hannah remained. She remained focused on Samuel. If there's anything God wants you to do, ladies, in this season, mamas, mamas, remain focused on those little ones that God has entrusted to your care. On raising them, training them, equipping them so that they can grow in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. So those boys and those girls, those little ones grow up to become men and women of God. Hannah's, Samuel's, David's, you name it. Raise them so that they can be world changers for the kingdom of God. Oh, and go write your books and go break the record with sales and go, go do what God's called you to do. But don't forget, you got to remain focused primarily. Your focus needs to be on those little ones under your care. And if you don't have little ones, you got some old ones, make them the focal point of your prayers. 
Because even though they're out of the house, they're not out of your heart. Keep on praying for them that God will use them in mighty, mighty ways. But eventually, Hannah went up after she weaned Samuel. She went up to offer worship to God and sacrifices to him. And it says this in 1 Samuel 1, 27, 28. And she said, she said this, for this child I prayed and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Verse 28, therefore I have lent him to the Lord. <laughs> How many of y'all know? It's really the other way around. The Lord lent Samuel to Hannah, but, but from her perspective, okay, God, I prayed and I, I made this vow. I said, Lord, if you'll remember me, then I'll remember you. How many of y'all know she kept her promise? And she said, Lord, you've been faithful. I've got this son. Now, Lord, he is lent to you. He is for you, for your purposes. He's going to be set apart all the days of his life. Come on, how many of y'all know that's a woman of God? And here we see <laughs> that she kept her promise. As long as Samuel lived, he was, he was lent to the Lord and to the Lord's purposes. But don't miss this. What was Samuel's purpose? Well, we could say it involved a lot of different elements, but one of uh, the big elements of, of, of Samuel's purpose was this. To, to be raised as a godly man, to go into Israel. Watch this, watch this. And to anoint and appoint David, a man after God's own heart, to be the king over all of Israel. <laughs> and how many of y'all know, King David and his rulership is a foreshadowing of the coming king, the greater king, the greatest of all kings, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch this. And see, 1,100 years later, the Bible tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit, born of this great woman, the Virgin Mary. And Jesus was born into this world to pay for our sins and to deliver us from our spiritual brokenness, barrenness, and our inadequacies. 1,100 years later, the child was conceived and brought forth into the world. We sang it. Jesus is our champion. Acts. You can think I made this up. I, check it out. Acts 3.24. Peter says, And all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and those came after him all proclaimed these days. What days? The coming of the Messiah. Samuel's life his ministry, it points forward to the coming king who would be called by God, anointed by God to deliver us from sin, death, hell, and the grave. But the superstar of the Bible, of course, is Jesus. It's Jesus. But along the way, as we've seen today, God used some incredible women. Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Mary, mother of Jesus. I'm so glad that these women, these mothers are in the Bible. And I'm so honored and thrilled to have so many godly women in this church. Because come on, ladies, you've got a great purpose. You've got a great mission. 
We honor you, mamas. Come on, mamas, stand to your feet right now. If you're a mama, one more time, stand up. Stand to your feet, mamas. Come on, one more time. Y'all, don't, don't treat this as just like some like Mother's Day. Let's clap. No, give them your best. Give them your best because these are some godly women, godly women who are standing on God's word. Come on, give them your best. Don't stop. Honor them today. Honor them today. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my wife. Incredible mama that you are. And ladies, as you remain standing, I want you just to slip your hands up like this. And I want to pray for you today. Lord, thank you for these mamas. If you're a biological mom, foster mom, adoptive mom, single mom, doesn't matter, all the moms stand up. And Lord, as they have their hands lifted, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, I know that so many here feel inadequate. So many feel like they just don't have, have what it takes in spite of even having your word and being filled with your spirit. But Lord, today I pray that, Lord, you would d- displace that lie, bring truth, bring courage, bring encouragement. God, bring hope. God, do what only you can do in their hearts. God, I just pray. I pray for deeper, deeper levels of intimacy. Lord, I pray as they cry out to you, Lord, in their pain, in their anguish, Lord, in the vexation of their souls. Lord, even if they're they're facing a closed door in their circumstances. Lord, I pray you to remind them today that your ears are always open to their cries. And that in due season, in due time, in due time, in due time, in due time, you're gonna answer. But as they wait, I pray that as they draw close to you, you would draw close to them. Because Lord, the greatest gift on Mother's Day is your very presence, God. And so, Lord, I pray you would affirm them. God, I pray that you would deliver them from every attack of the enemy. From all the paninas of the world that provoke them. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your confirming word. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring such an incredible text to encourage the mamas today. And so, God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for these mamas. In Jesus' awesome name, everybody said.